You may be seated. We'll turn to Sermon on the Mount again in Matthew chapter 5. And this time we're going to do 27 28 today. So let's continue in this. I am going to go back and pick up in uh, verse 17 and read through 28. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no way, no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And verse 20 is the central theme of the Sermon on the Mount. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not kill And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has aught against you, leave there your gift before the altar Go your way first, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and you be cast into prison. Verily I say unto you, you shall by no means come out from there till you have paid the uttermost farthing. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Let us pray. Holy Father, we come before you again, so grateful that you have given us your pure word in order to purify our hearts that have been so adulterated by the world. I pray, Father, that by the preaching of the word and the presence of the Holy Spirit, applying this word to our hearts, that you would help us, Lord, to grow in grace and purity this day. In Christ's name, amen. We'll title this message, The Pure in Heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We're again at this great sermon, the perfect sermon, that was preached by Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the word, this eternal word of God, is always separating. It's always separating those who believe from those who believe not. It's always separating in your heart those things that need to be separated and eliminated and put to death. He's always emptying us. This whole sermon begins with the state of grace, which is to be happy, blessed, If you know Christ today, you are in the most happy state of all. Blessed. And blessing, that blessed state begins with being emptied completely out of any hope, anything, 
in yourself for this world. And that is blessed are the poor in spirit. And so Christ through this word is always emptying us so that we might be filled with joy and peace and righteousness. This righteousness which exceeds We know that Christ fulfilled that because in Romans 10 it tells us Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believes. We also know that through the word of God and the power of the spirit and through the fellowship of the saints in a church community that this righteousness is being worked out in our lives. When Christ said here that he didn't come to destroy but to fulfill this law, he's saying that the moral law is still in effect. And we still are obligated to keep the Ten Commandments. And he's teaching us that. And as he says that this righteousness that exceeds is what we need to enter into the kingdom of heaven, he's telling us what that is. And that's why he's going back and clarifying the Sixth and the Seventh Commandment here, which I take it because he went to the Sixth and Seventh Commandment. That tends to be our biggest problems. Anger and adultery. So Christ is performing an ongoing heart work in those who've had a heart transplant. So I've been thinking about this 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 week, okay? So Kim had a four to five hour surgery, uh, which they do a heart bypass, and most of y'all are familiar with that, but uh, our arteries become clogged up over time. And part of that's due to age, and part of that's due to diet, Part of it's due to our genetic makeup. And over time, these arteries become blocked. And the genius of medical science today is they can go in and actually take veins out of your legs and bypass and sew them in around these blockages in your heart so that you can continue to live longer. And uh, and everything that happens in this world, I believe you can look at it and see a spiritual truth that's being taught. And one of the causes of heart disease in our country is the, uh, the standard American diet. And so what we eat is actually damaging our blood vessels and veins and arteries uh, if we're eating the standard American diet. Most of us are. And what happens over time is you have plaque buildup and your arteries get clogged. And so there's these procedures to go in and to clear that out and to help with that and these bypass surgeries. And so just a, a quick application there for you. Um, in spiritual things, what you eat and what you are feeding your mind and your soul and your heart could be clogging up your spiritual arteries and affecting your health, your spiritual health. And so today I think um, the Lord is going to teach us some about this in a little bit more detail. As he's continues to separate us through this preached word from the adulteration of the world. If you are in Christ, every time you come before the preaching of the word in your Bible and your readings, there's changes to be made. And I think God is making changes in us every time we read the word and we come before preaching. Maybe even if we don't sense it or realize it, he's still doing it. And over time... He works in us to the point where we are also working with him, making changes in our life, in our spiritual diet. And so he's here today 
through this text to expose the reigning sin of our times. Now Thomas Watson said that in the 1600s. That adultery was the reigning sin of his time. And if it was the reigning sin of his time, how much more is it in our time? Brothers and sisters, we are prone to light views of sin. That, that's part of the fall. That's part of our culture. That's part of the saturation in an entertainment culture that in just about many of the things that are offered for entertainment, the Ten Commandments are broken regularly. The moral law is broken regularly in those things that we see. We're in this saturated, so we're prone to light views of sin. In fact, the insidious nature, I looked up that word insidious, it means uh, treachery and seduction and something that's creeping in like heart disease. When it's going on in everybody's heart in this room right now, heart disease. And you don't know it, and some people don't know it till they have the Widowmaker. You know what the Widowmaker is. That's where you have a heart attack and you're done. And so this disease can be creeping up in your life and you not even know it. That's the deceptive nature of sin. And whenever we come before the preached word every week, that's why I come in desperation to this place as many times as I could be here because I know how insidious sin has been in my life. And I know I need heart surgery and bypass surgery regularly. On a weekly basis through the preaching of the word of God. So if there's one thing I would have you focus on today. It would be to answer this question for yourself. How pure in heart am I? How pure in heart am I? And connected with that in the beatitude is. They shall see God. Ask this question. Am I seeing God in my life? Am I seeing God in answered prayers in heart surgery? Am I seeing God in nature? Am I seeing God working through the afflictions and the sufferings of my life to bring about more grace, more trust in Him? This Purity of heart, as we already covered when we went through that beatitude, means a singular heart, an undivided heart, a heart that's singularly focused on our Creator, our beloved Messiah. And a divided heart is a heart that's been adulterated and split and divided. So to understand how pure in heart we are, we must also understand the disease, right? We've been looking at the disease of anger and heart murder. And now we look at the disease of heart adultery. And as we go into talking about to see this light view of sin that we have, the first thing we need to understand is what is the standard? What is the model for purity of heart? And I know we go back to this a lot. The model for purity and design of how you were made in God's image is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Who are in perfect union 
purity of fidelity to one another for billions and billions for eternity. We are made in that image. And that is the model. That's the first point. The perfect heart is this perfect undivided union of Trinity that we were made in that image of to be like. That's the standard. Jesus said in John 10.30, I and my Father are one. Single focus. Father loving the Son. Son loving the Father. And John, uh, to follow that up, another text we have read a lot in here, and I keep going back to it because it's so important. And I hope we wouldn't get tired of hearing these. These are the things we need to meditate on deeply, continually. As Jesus said, I and my Father are one, singularly focused on each other, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit being the Spirit of love between them, as a distinct person. In John 17, 24, he said, Father, I will that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's that perfection of heart. It's perfect love, singular love on God the Father. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you have sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it. That the love whether you had loved me. May be in them. And I in them. And this great glorious truth. Is that God has redeemed you out of this world that has been adulterated. Into the church of Jesus Christ to restore that image of purity in you so that you can be married to the Trinity for eternity. And that is a grand and glorious destiny that's hard to comprehend. That God, this pure, holy, divine Godhead would bring humans, puny little humans like us into relationship with Him. And He's done it. And he's doing it. And he's going to perfect that one day. Of course, the metaphor for this, one of the metaphors for this, is marriage. And we see that in Ephesians 5.30. Again, Jesus Christ says, For we are members of his body, and of his flesh, and of his bones. And I hope you all are hearing the echoes of our Wednesday night study on union with Christ. We are members of his body, and of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. They're combined spiritually. They're one. They may have two separate, distinct personalities, but they're one. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the whole purpose of that is to show this great, perfect model of what purity of heart looks like. There are those that God calls to singleness who understand this state of marriage with Christ so much in life now that they're able to forego and to die themselves marriage in order to commit themselves entirely to Christ. 
This perfection of purity of heart is what we are being transformed into. And immediately you think of Romans 12, where the apostle here is basically expositing the Sermon on the Mount. As I told you, much of the New Testament really is just explaining the Sermon on the Mount to us and how it works out in the life of the church. He says there in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. All those who know Christ are doing that. Presenting our bodies a living sacrifice here on the worship day together with other believers. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. If, if our bodies have been bought by the blood of Christ, redeemed out of slavery to sin, then we present our bodies a living sacrifice, our hearts. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we need this constant renewing because the world is trying to conform you to light views of sin and adultery in particular. Brothers and sisters, he's doing this, this transforming through this pure word. How important is the word of God? Satan, the first adulterer, came to Adam and Eve and adulterated them because he said God hadn't said that. And this pure word, as we meditate on it and we have it preached to us, is helping to restore that image of purity of heart and to restore our minds. And Psalms 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Pure words like silver that they would take out and heat it to get all of the scum out of it. And then they would heat it again and again and again seven times until that silver has reached the highest level of purity the word, the word of God is pure. And it's this word that we need to have to be feeding our spiritual diet. If you are consuming more of what this world has to offer than the word of God, your spiritual arteries are being clogged and you're going to develop light views of sin. The prayer... For us is the prayer of Psalms 86.11 as we're focused on this perfect model that we were made in and that we fell from. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. This pure truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. We pray, unite my heart, God, this divided heart that I'm born with, this adulterous heart that I'm born with. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Lord, we pray in that. That's the fight of faith as we are striving and walking through this world. Of course, the end that we're going to be restored to is that Revelation 19.9 where he tells John, Right, blessed, are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. The final consummation of what you're being prepared for now. 
the heart surgery, the bypass today through the preaching of the word is to help sanctify you and separate you, to keep you from falling. As a man thinks, so is he. If you're constantly putting things in our mind that we should not and feeding the monster, eventually it'll break out in sin. So brothers and sisters, this pure heart should be the vision for us and our children. So to understand the evil of the impurity that adulterates this pure model that we've been given, we have to define we have to define this adultery. And first just to look at the structure a little bit here, the two verses, Matthew 527 just to remind you it spoke last time about how many times Jesus will say you've heard it was said of old time but I say unto you he's repeatedly saying that you have heard well that's a, an active verb there You're, you still are hearing today that oh no you don't have the only sin is outward acts and Jesus is teaching us that the moral law goes deeper than outward acts. This goes right into your heart. The ex- this is the difference between Christianity and all other religions. This is a heart religion. Worship is a heart matter. Regeneration is a heart matter. So you have heard that it was said of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. And, and even us, think about it. Whenever you hear that, thou shalt not commit adultery, immediately you think, well, that's just somebody that's in a marriage that goes out and commits the act. I mean, that's mainly what we think when we hear that commandment, right? Well, we're going to learn that it's much more than that. Christ has said, no, I say unto you that everybody who looks on a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. So humanity, the world system, past and now, is saying things about adultery and impurity that are not true. Isn't this true? Isn't this a constant bombardment? You shall not commit adultery in the moral law. The meaning of that, that's a future tense. It means your ongoing... Life, your ongoing activity on into the future is mean you're not doing this. That's the righteousness that exceeds that the Pharisees were not living up to. And that Christ fulfills in us. So we are prone to light views of sin and adultery. And it's only to see the perfection of the model and to understand how ugly this is, where we can look at our own heart and ask the question, how pure is my heart? So adultery defined. What is the pathology of this disease? So pathology is the study of disease. Well, there is physical adultery, yes, we know that. And there is spiritual adultery. Heart adultery, which is what Christ is teaching us here. So just because we do not physically commit the act does not mean we are not breaking the moral law. And Christ is 
teaching us this truth because He loves you. And He knows that those who believe and whose hearts have been purified by the blood of Christ will do everything they can to get this out of their life. So the definition of adultery is a crime. It's a crime against purity. It's a crime against your design and what you were made for. It's unfaithfulness. It's an infection. It's the fever of the soul. It's a crime against family. It's a crime against humanity. It's a crime against the country. It pollutes the world and destroys society. It's a breach of an oath before witnesses in God. When we stand and we say, till death do us part, we're taking an oath before witnesses and before God. It is the breach of God's design. It is the placing of our will and pleasure before God's will and actually a better pleasure. Right? Adultery debases, debauches, and destroys. The spirit of adultery is an unclean spirit. Satan is called an unclean spirit. In Jeremiah 29.23, it's called villainy. Villainy. Villains are vile, wicked persons. Depraved. Seducers. Cheats. To reject purity of heart and body is, to re- is really to reject uh, the pleasure God intends for you. It would be like taking a little white lamb to take purities, like taking a white, pure white lamb and plunging it in the mud. Or plunging it in the sewer, even worse. To take what God intended for our hearts, these hearts He's given us, and to use it in any other way than to pursue Him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. I was reading where it was observed that in storks, in the community of storks, that they mate for lifetime. There are many bird species that do this. And in the storks, it was observed that one stork left its mate to go to another bird and all of the other storks fell on it and plucked all its feathers off. Even the animal kingdom knows. So from the definition of this adultery... The ugliness of it, the violation of perfection and purity, we see in the Old Testament that spiritual adultery was used by God to communicate spiritual worship of anything other than God. So our next point would be spiritual adultery. But I say unto you, Jesus is just saying, this is what I've always been teaching you in the Old Testament. But I say unto you, 
Jeremiah 3 9. He begins in verse 1 of this. The prophet Jeremiah says, They say if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Yahweh is saying to Israel, as you go worship these other gods, Baal and these gods that are not gods, you're like a harlot turning away to other lovers. That's spiritual adultery. In verse 9 he says, And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with her stones and her stocks. So as they made these images for these other gods, God accused them and said, you're committing adultery against me by worshiping any other god but me. And so we see in that that the teaching about adultery is a heart matter. It's more than just an outward act. But as we commit that act of spiritual adultery and worshiping anything other than our Lord, loving anything other than God, we're prone to this outwardly. Ezekiel sixteen seventeen. Well, let's just go to, I don't think I have time for that. What? Hosea four twelve. So y'all know the story of Hosea. And God told Hosea to go marry a prostitute. And so Hosea's whole life becomes a metaphor for God and Israel. And there, there's a time where she goes back to her prostitution and she has multiple children and has children with him. And all of this is a picture of spiritual adultery. And that's what God is communicating in these places. And so they're just, this Old Testament, Christ is, the Spirit of Christ in these prophets is teaching the same thing. Christ is coming back and correcting and saying, you said, you've heard of old time. Now I'm just, I'm telling you, I'm taking you back to what I've always been teaching you. Hosea 4.12. My people ask counsel at their stocks, these images they had made, and their staff declares unto them, for the spirit of whoredoms has caused them to err, and they have gone a-whoring from under their God. Spiritual adultery. I was looking up on a website, Toronk Law was the name of this site, and they were giving statistics for infidelity in marriages today. And said that 40 to 45% of marriages experiences adultery. 40 to 45%, and 40% of those ended in divorce. Now, I was looking at a different website. There's different statistics on that, but it's bad. We live in an age where this is a reigning sin of our times, where marriage is breaking down. Some communities, ethnic communities, 70 to 75% of the children are growing up without a father in the home. 
And so they're going into the gangs because they need father figures. They're made and designed to need a dad to sit on them and help them and to teach them about life. And when they don't have that, they're going to find it somewhere. And it's sad. So brothers and sisters, we have also seen the decline of Christianity rampant even more since the age of the smartphone and screens. So in 1976, 91% of Americans professed to be Christians. Is that shocking? 1976, 91% did. 2016, it was 73%. And 2022, it was 64%. It's a rapid decline. But I would say, in the true kingdom of God is not declining. And the true kingdom of God is increasing and growing and is right on target and right on track. What's happening is those who are professors and not possessors and not truly born again are being seduced by the world and they're leaving and they never were his to start with. It's still sad and heartbreaking. But God's church is always successful. So brothers and sisters from this pure design and singleness of heart to the mixing and diluting of the reality of that design through Satan and the fall where he adulterated humanity and where we are born with this divided heart and then we are born again with new hearts and able to repent of this sin and to fight it and to keep heading towards glory with pure hearts. Amen? So keep fighting the good fight against that. Our next point is the consequences. What are the consequences of adultery? Read the Proverbs. Proverbs 2, 5, 6, 7. Again and again and again, we are taught about the consequences of adultery. Let's just look at a couple of those. We'll begin in chapter 2 of Proverbs. In 10 and 11. When wisdom enters into your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul. Let me just tell you right there. You remember when the Jesus talked about the spirit where the heart was cleaned of the, the demonic spirit, the unclean spirit, but the heart wasn't filled. And so that demon went and found seven others and came back and the state of that man was worse than the beginning. To cleanse your heart of this, you got to fill your heart with a better pleasure. When wisdom enters into your heart and knowledge is pleasant unto your soul, this wisdom will keep you from that sin and that evil. Discretion shall preserve you. Preserve you from what? Well, Christ is getting to that, right? You cut off your hand and pluck out your eye, you're going to hell. And he means you've got to take extreme measures. And believers will do that. And you will be successful in that. And you will struggle from time to time. But you will grow in grace and holiness. And you have brothers and sisters to help you. Discretion shall preserve you. Understanding shall keep you. To deliver you from the way of the evil man. From the man that speaks froward things. Perverse things. 
And so first of all, this wisdom is saying you need to be delivered from men who use their mouths to try to seduce you. Wicked men understand how to seduce women. They understand how women think. They know how to get into their head. And they know how to manipulate them. Wisdom keeps you from that. Y'all know we teach our kids stranger danger. Why? Because you know that if an older adult who's wicked and evil can get a child in a conversation, they can manipulate them. Eve should have practiced stranger danger. Because once Satan got her into a conversation, he had her. So beware. You... Young ladies, there will be guys that will come up to you and they'll try to, and the first thing they'll do is flatter you because they know they can manipulate you with flattery. This happens as rampant in the workplace. In World War II in 1947 was one of the biggest spikes of adultery we've had. War is devastating to marriage. And women went into the workplace, they're spending more time at work than they are at home with their husbands. And we have that continue on and on over the past 70 years. So we need discretion. We need wisdom. We've got to understand how women think and how men think in order to protect ourselves from the evil. And then it jumps down there and it all talks, also talks about the evil woman in verse 16 to deliver you from the strange woman, even the stranger which flatters with her words. And she forgets the covenant of her God. Her house inclines unto death. And her paths unto the dead. So what's the consequences of going down the path of habitual, repeated adultery, even if it's only in your heart? Death. None that go unto her return again. Don't play with it. Stay away from it. If you start going down that path, it says you may never return. This is an addiction like heroin. In Proverbs 6, 23. For the commandment is a lamp and a law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Don't you want to have life? Life is joy and enjoyment and hope to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in your heart, neither let her take you with her eyelids. I've heard one pastor say, you got about five seconds to turn away from that. The old Puritans would say, you're like a barrel of water that's completely brimmed over and you've got that arch of the water through the magnetism molecular structure, the curvature, and you, you get to the point where you add one more drop of water and it breaks and it just all spills down over the side. That's your heart. You've got to walk so carefully through this world. One drop, one look, one of those little clickbaits at the bottom of your sports page, men can set you on fire. We've got to stay away from it. Be aware of it. Be on guard of it. It 
It says in verse 26 there, the consequences. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. There are economic consequences to adultery. Every time a man gets divorced, he loses half his wealth. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So that he that goes into his neighbor's wife, whosoever touches her, shall not be innocent. And then Proverbs 7. The whole chapter of Proverbs 7 is about this. Again, the pleading of the Holy Spirit with you. He loves all of those that love Him. And He's pleading with you through these eternal words, these Proverbs. My son, keep my words. Lay up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. And my law is the apple of your eye. That means the most precious thing that you look at. And then he looks down and he sees, he, he says here that these words may keep you from the strange woman again and from the stranger which flatters with her words. So he looks out the window and he sees a young man there that's simple, who doesn't have this discernment, who's not following God's commandment. He's void of understanding. And he, rather than a holy man, will not go by that house. He won't buy, go by that house. He stays away from the path. But he goes right by her path in her corner so he might get a glimpse. He might get a look. And that day you don't have to go out in the street. That pathway comes right through your Netflix account or your Amazon account. The, the holy man stays completely away from that. This man, this simpleton, goes by there and this he's snared in the trap, the fly trap. The flypaper grabs this young man and uh, she lies to him, tells him to come in with much fair speed. Verse 22, he goes after her straightway as an ox goes to the slaughter. Consequences of adultery. And as a fool to the correction of the stalks, the dark strikes through his liver. There's nothing more bitter than this sin when a man wakes up from his drunken stupor of exchanging a moment of pleasure. And he feels the agony of the betrayal. He feels the agony of his wickedness he's done. That what He's taken his children's hearts out and stomped on them. When he sees the agony and the pain, it's like a dart striking through his liver. If he's any kind of human being at all. As a bird hastes to the snare and does not know that it is for his life. The consequence of this sin is, is for your life. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. For she cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell. Going down to the chambers of death. Does our society not have a light view of this sin? How many are in hell now in torments who lived in this kind of wickedness and sin? We must not make excuses.
for this. Our culture is at war with marriage. It affects our society. There are great consequences. So little children of the Lord, hear the words of the Lord. He's speaking to you. Take these Proverbs, meditate on them. So from the pure design of what we were made for, to enjoy ecstatic pleasure in communion with Holy Father. We have traded great ecstatic conjugal love with our Father with Things that just don't satisfy. But the believer is being restored to understand what it means to be in great pleasure with the Holy One. He's being restored. The adultery of the eye. Jesus here says, look, it comes through the eye. And we're going to spend some more time probably on this next time. But he says here, but I say unto you that whosoever looks, whosoever looks has committed adultery already in his heart. In Genesis 3, 6, the woman saw that the tree saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eye. And I think John is tapping into that in 1 John two sixteen, where he says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So this comes through the eye. What a great gift it is to have eyes. Sister Carly has gone through a great trial, has she not? Losing sight. And yet I've tried to encourage her by telling her, you have eyes of faith to see something more beautiful than your eyes. Walking out in nature this time of year, isn't it great when all the trees start to change color? You see the brilliant colors of the maples. And out here in our own churchyard, the, the reds as they're already turning out here. What a gift it is God has given us to be able to see. And what a greater gift it is to be able to see with eyes of faith. And what a great perversion it is to take the gift of seeing and to use it to feed our lust. The gift of seeing. Now this sin and this lust comes through the eye for both men and women. Alright? Y'all remember Potiphar's wife? Who saw Joseph? Good looking young man. And she tried to seduce Joseph. So it's not just men. Even though men are by nature visual responders. And women are by nature more emotional responders. The eye and the inlet is the inlet of seeing where we turn to lust. To take the eye and to start lusting. And that lusting means to turn it over again and again. Like a wicked man that would go to the grocery store to the mall just so he might feast on things he might see there. Or go to the mall so he might see advertisements where he might feast on these things. The holy man of God goes to Walmart. He stays away from the women's clothing part of the store. You go around it. Because I got advertisements and stuff in there that I, I don't, I can't look at them. We got to stay away from that stuff. It comes through the eye. When we begin longing for things we see, this is also the commandment thou shalt not covet. 
You could do this with cards. You could do this with circulars that come in the newspaper where you start thinking, well, what do I need? Or Amazon, where you just, you're so overcome with a lusting and a gotta have, gotta have, you start buying stuff you don't need and rack up credit card debt. It's a kind of spiritual adultery where you're taking pleasure in things more than God. When we have God as our chief pleasure, we can enjoy the things of life rightly and properly. Right? The gift of seeing and the sin comes through the eye. I love John 9 because you got a blind man there. Right? You can't see. And this is the picture of being born of the Spirit. And the blind man comes along and the Pharisees keep questioning him, questioning him. How did this happen to you? How did you see? Was he really blind? Was this really a miracle? And they're so blind, the Pharisees, they can't see that a miracle has been done. And what does that man say finally to them? This one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. Brothers and sisters, if you've got that gift of seeing... Let us not use the gift of natural seeing to adulterate our pure hearts. In 2016 on Tim Challies, it's a little bit old statistics, but there's one particular website where a porn website that registered 4.6 billion hours of viewing, which equals 17 thousand lifetimes and all who do not repent of that will spend 17 billion lifetimes in eternal torment average 11 year old average 11 year old has already been exposed 96% of young adults are pretty just neutral to the whole idea of viewing that 61% is watched on mobile phones, which we didn't even have till 2003. So I'm giving you these facts for a reason, especially for you parents, but all of us. In psychology today, these are unbelievers, okay? They say that smartphone use and hypnosis are almost identical. We already know that. Because when somebody comes in and sits down trying to have a conversation with you and they pick up their smartphone, they're not paying attention to you. What is hypnosis? That's whenever you are put in a state where you don't have this discretion of Proverbs. Your barriers up. You do mindless scrolling and time just disappears. That's one of the things that happens in hypnosis. Mindless scrolling and hours and hours lost. Hypnosis. They use hypnosis for modification of behavior. Facts. These are facts. Your behavior can be modified. Have you ever seen the people get hypnotized and act like chickens on stage or whatever? It's when you lose the power of voluntary action. When you become highly responsive 
to suggestion or direction. And as I was thinking about this, that's pretty much true of any screen. Because in the first days of television, there were some studies done that showed the same thing. That television screen creates a mild state of hypnosis. And we live in that age, don't we? And so I started thinking about that. If men are visual responders, and they're more prone to addictions to pornography than others are. And I've reproached myself looking back on screens in my own home and what I've allowed because if we start out young kids getting addicted to that hypnotic effect when they're little is that going to make them more prone to pornography when they get older I mean these are, these are questions I ask myself and I don't have the answer to all of this but I'm saying it's something I think we as believers need to think about we need to be aware and we need to think about these little precious souls but I say unto you, so brother, if these things are true and this disease is so easy and we live in this age where Satan has so many tools, we got to be aware so that we can put our walls up, build the walls of Jerusalem, stay on our guard and keep it ourselves from these kinds of addictions and behaviors that will make us prone to this sin. Right? Don't we all need help with this? There's a greater pleasure. And we are so easily satisfied. Again and again, C.S. Lewis rings true, right? We're like a bunch of kids making mud pies on the beach when we could be having a feast with the Father. We're so satisfied with these simple, easy, lazy pleasures when we could go out in the backyard and meditate and experience wonderful things with 8D instead of 4D or whatever. Real D. I say unto you, is there anything you need to change? Is there anything you need to change? We all got things we need to change. We're here today to have heart surgery. We're here today, once again, to understand we have light views of sin. And we got to stay on top of things. And we got to be thinking about how we manage and arrange our lives and where we spend our time, our money, where we look with our eyes. So what changes will you make? How pure is your heart? If you're fighting for purity and you've got, you're on top of all of this, then you're seeing God and your life is filled with great joy and peace. But if your life is not filled with great joy and peace and you don't feel like you're seeing God in things, then take a look at the focus and the purity of your heart. We've got the perfect model that God made us in. And for all of those who believe in Christ, they are being restored. So dearly beloved, I know that there are, if you are in Christ, you are a poor, weak, and weeping saint. And you're grieved over failures. Maybe even a failure this week in this area. If you're really in Christ, you're tasting the bitterness of that sin even now. If you're one of those who have a deep hatred for this sin, I would just encourage you. If you are in Christ, you are engrafted into Christ and you are engraved 
on his very hands. You are continually in his thoughts. Your family and friends might forget you, but he never will. You are accepted in the beloved. He's always working in you that which is well-pleasing to him. To cure you of this disease. And if you are rebellious in this, he might turn you over to it for a time. So that you become so sick where you're vomiting it up and it's coming out your nostrils. To cure you of it. The kingdom of God is within you. And you cannot do this sin of adulterating the purity of your heart. You just can't do it if you're really in Christ. But if you are enslaved to this sin, and you are habitually in this sin, and you know it, and it's a habitual part of your life, I would say, I don't know whether you're born again or not. Because you cannot continue to feast on filth and be a partaker of the divine nature. That's impossible. So I would call you to this day. If you're tired of being enslaved to that, which you can sense the pollution of it, and you want to get free of it, then flee to Christ. I'll be glad to help anybody. Flee to Christ. Trust Him. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of God is here now. Don't wait. Don't wait. This is a destroying sin, and it is the reigning sin of our day. So I would call you to leave it. Get help. Go find somebody before the day is out. If you're enslaved to this, and you, or if you're watching this, go find somebody today and tell them and confess it and get it out. Because Satan loves for men to hide this sin. That's why smartphones are so nefarious. It can be hidden. Backdoors on computers can be hidden. They can get around. Anybody who really wants to get to this who's wicked can find a way around any blocks. But if you're in Christ, you will use those tools to help you stay pure. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. The exceeding righteousness that Christ is working in us is done through teaching us hard truths. Because He loves us so much, He tells us the nature of our heart disease so that we can get it repaired through the work of grace and the gospel. May God bless His Word.